If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. You can save an extra $10 when you spend 40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Baker's. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows on our website, castaway.media. Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of Padaroo. So on Saturday and Sunday, I did a children's gig in Phoenix Park in Farmley House. I tell you, it's always a challenge doing a children's gig. So, you know, I learned from doing them before that you can't just do your real stand-up because, well, sometimes it's obviously not suitable. But apart from that... It's just that children don't appreciate the frustrations that an adult has in life. You know, for the most part, children's frustrations aren't inner frustrations. They're never unexpressed. Uh, Like an adult will have gone through experiences. You know, I can't talk to kids about how frustrating it is to to be polite uh, when your uh, sister's on the phone and she's regaling you with a story about how she left the house yesterday morning wearing a short sleeve blouse and that by lunchtime the weather had changed and she got stuck in a shower while out shopping for a good sponge because it's really hard to find a decent sponge these days because a child is, is never going to politely listen to any story. A child would have probably have interrupted uh, that story and said, my friend Daniel said he can hypnotise a chicken and make it think it's a foot. Because they just don't have those frustrations. If their child is hungry, they would go, I'm hungry! They don't ever uh, walk around with inner inner frustrations or inner... Um, frustrations. Another word for frustrations. So... So what I'm taking to doing with the uh, with the children's gigs, uh, for the most part, is uh, just improvising, improvising completely, going on and improvising songs. And generally, the whole show was improvised, apart from the odd little bit, uh, which seems to work because uh, it's uh, what children. You can ask for suggestions from children, and they will give you just the maddest shit. Anyway, they don't hold back, so they don't. You don't have to warm them up and get them into it like adults. Adults are. Are, uh, have built up uh, a, a big barriers where they will take a while to uh, loosen up and open up, and some some adults just don't don't ever. So, uh, but it's incredibly nerve wracking going on and not knowing what you're going to do before you go on, or having maybe an idea what you're going to do, say for the first line, how you're going to. That's about it. So I'm backstage and I'm thinking I I do not know what I'm going to do when I go on stage. And that's also really invigorating. When you let yourself go, you know, that's kind of like just embrace the feeling of, oh, I know I'm going to just mess around and some things will work and some things won't work. But when something doesn't work, I won't panic. Because there is something in a comic that draws your 
eyes to the person who's not enjoying the show and that's the kind of bad thing that makes you panic because there's always one person uh, maybe not always but it's quite often you're on stage and you find that one face that's just staring at you and not amused kind of look or even kind of scrunched up nose kind of face the face in the crowd that doesn't doesn't want to be involved they're looking or they're looking at their phone or just staring stony-faced at you. Now. I used to think, I used to think, oh, okay, I'm going to get that person. I'm going to make them laugh, which was the wrong idea. I mean, the whole idea is, fuck, fuck them. They're, they're, they're only one person. Everyone else is having a good time. They're the person who deserve your energy. I'm here for those people, not the one person that's not enjoying the show. So when the show was on on Saturday... Uh, all the kids and parents were on the grass and I was in a covered stage, quite a large stage and on the same level as the audience, but covered. And it was a it was a rainy day, so it started to rain. And I said to the audience that were still there, who hadn't run away because of the rain, not because of me. I said, uh, come on in here, come in here, come on the stage because it's covered. And they did. And loads of kids and Parents came on this kind of, under this marquee stage and uh, apparently there was uproar because with the OPW, Office of Public Works that is, phone calls were made, get those people off the stage. The power was turned off, I had to continue just acoustically because somebody uh, threw a wobbly in the Office of Public Works. It just said, you know, I don't know, it's just really weird because it, you just think... It's logical. It's raining out there. They're kids. They're getting wet. I'm covered. They are literally two feet away. And there's a big area here. Come on in under the cover. I'm not flipping Madonna, you know. It's not like uh, I don't want people, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be trampled on or something with uh, screaming kids. I don't think Madonna gets trampled on by screaming kids. But anyway, just logically it just seems... It's just really weird when logic is turned on its head and someone's going, oh no, someone might get electrocuted or someone might trip. Uh, inferring, of course, that uh, it doesn't matter if I get electrocuted or if I trip. I'm just a fucking comedian. But if a member of the audience, oh no, it's much safer for the children if they're standing out in the lashings of rain. That's the way we have it here, the OPWU. Yeah, I don't know why they talk in Dublin accents. I'm sure they don't talk like that. I'm sure they talk like that. Uh, no, we can't have that. I'm sure they talk. They talk like... How do they talk? Anyway, thanks to the OPWU for putting on the event. But, you know, just thank God I don't work in any civil servant type of organisation with crazy uh, regulations. Although I would love their pension and their job security and their ability to ring in sick. That would be nice. And one more thing, by the way, Office of Public Works. I nearly got knocked off my bike on the way to the gig because the ladies who ran the pink run thought it was fine to walk back to their cars on the cycle lane. And even when I pointed out to a few ladies who uh, I kind of brushed against that they were on the cycle lane, their reply was... It's not a cycle lane, despite the massive signs on the path with a kind of pedestrian person and a big line going through it. But well done, ladies. Uh, you've done a lot for charity there. 
and uh, I had a great day and uh, the kids was all great. Now we're going to have an interview coming up with Willie White who is a fantastic uh, comedian with an amazing story which uh, goes back to, well I let him tell the story to be honest and he he came to uh, prominence in the Joy in the Hood programme that Des Bishop did on RTE uh, but there's a lot more behind Willie White than just that. Hey. Hey. <laughs> right. Uh, thanks for coming in, Willie. You're very welcome, Joe. Yeah. I uh, The last time I saw you was at the festival in Port, uh, Port Arlington, Bear, Bear in the Woods. That's right. Bear in the Woods. Ab- thanks. You came in at late notice there and you performed a brilliant gig. Ah, thanks very much. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you're better off getting thrown in at the deep end. The kids yeah. was a bit of a detour. And, um, yeah. Or, th- yeah, they were great, though, you know, and... Th- Jesus, thank God he didn't know anything about the stuff I was talking about. Uh, I could have got into a lot of trouble, but I didn't. It was great. It worked out well, and everyone done well. Everyone seemed to do well, you know. You did a stormer, though. There was a lot of little kids there. Yeah, that's right. But you can't, uh, this is a, I didn't care. I just did me stuff. Like, you you know. Yeah, you just, you can't, family-orientated gigs like that, you just can't prepare for. You know, sometimes you know you've got material and, and then you just have a bit of crack like you know if there's people in the crowd that look a bit quirky that you think you can knock a bit of crack over a few kids up the front row that you know that you're asking you know stuff that you shouldn't really be asking that, but but you know that they don't know the answer which makes it more funnier to the adults you know um, and it just it just worked out well yeah and what a beautiful day we had that, that day as well day, it was yeah, a gorgeous day, day yeah, yeah. But it's not like it wasn't a kids' gig. It was just there happened to be the parents did bring their kids in and they could bring them out if they wanted to. Like I did a kids' gig in Phoenix Park. That's different. I've like, seen, I've seen the I photographs did, the other yeah, day. Yeah. It looked brilliant. Was it good? It was good. Yeah. Um, you know, there's only about three or four kids' gigs you do a year, so uh, it's not really something you'd be. Uh, all I do now is I just ad lib it and just uh, make up songs, get them to give suggestions. And uh, mess with you know have a bit of a mess with them. Yeah, that's crazy because I've been asked to do a gig in December for kids. Yeah, and I'm kind of going, oh, do I research Ben Ten or you know do I look at stuff? But just kids just love to have a laugh, like, and you can yeah. say the silliest of things. Yeah, you know, and they they go along. I think I think the thing about kids gigs is, and I haven't done any kids gigs at all whatsoever is you've just got to be a kid mm. for the 20 minutes or the half an hour and just bring yourself completely under their level, I'd say, and come across to be a little bit stupid and funny, like, you know? Like, if you're gigging for eight to ten-year-olds, be a six-year-old that thinks he's nine, like, you know, and just be goofy and, and just have a bit of laugh. And it's challenging. It's something, something that I've always kind of wanted to do and I'm going to get the opportunity to do it. So, you know... <laughs> Watch this space, Luke. So it could be doing yeah. communions next year and confirmations <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great crap. I get uh, suggestions like, say, I'm going to write a song. What, what do you want me to write a song about? And they'll just shout the maddest stuff, like a, a cheese puff, a foot. Do a song about a foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, they're much, you, they're not going to hold back. You know, if yeah. you're asking an adult audience, they'd be, they're not going to shout things. No, like, no. Yeah. And they're never as enthusiastic as yeah. kids in any way. Yeah, yeah. And they all just want to be heard, don't they? 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, Jesus, I mean, look, I mean, I believe the children are our future. They are, yeah. Teach them well and, you know, let them lead the way. Yeah. It's amazing, (laughs) wise words there, Willie. Thank you. (laughs) Give them a sense of pride, you know. So you, you, uh, you, you, did you grow up in Ballymun, Willie? I did, yeah. Yeah, I spent, well, I was actually born in the Coombe on the 17th of June, 1971. So the date is the year backwards. I think there's a name for that. Satan. Um, <laughs> oh, it's, so it's the same backwards. Uh, yes. Palindrome in, in, in a word. Is it? Yeah, it's something a, like that. Seven pal- palindrome, six, sorry. Seven and six, seven, one. So I was born mm. in the Coombe and then I lived in, um, started off life as a Southsider. <laughs> lived in Mount Talent Avenue over in Harold's Cross and uh, then moved to a place called Crampton Buildings, which is actually in the heart of Temple Bar. They're little, they're little flats. Do you know the flats know, around yeah, by well, the fishing shop there and in the lane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lived in them. And my, I actually have a really, really vivid memory of living in there. Mm. And what year was the was the, the bombings in Talbot Street? Can you remember that? Yeah, I remember it. But say around 75, was it? Or I remember that. Yeah? Yeah. Now we have an alibi a, for that day. But <laughs> no, so I you were only about four. Yeah, we, the, 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 we had a dresser in the house. I can remember moving from Mount Talent Avenue out to Ballymun. My mum actually gets a little bit uh, unnerved and a little bit frightened when I talk about stuff from being a kid because she just can't understand how I can remember it, but I can remember it. And what do you and remember from the bomb? I remember from the bomb, and I remember a big bang, and I remember the flat coin, the rattling a bit, and we had like a... I don't know whether it was a French dresser, but it was kind of a dresser like that with, with plates and, and, and cups and saucers on it. And I remember them falling and smashing off the floor. Jesus, and my mum was kind of looking at me going, I just can't understand how you can... Can you... You can you can remember that. Like, but I could. I could remember it, yeah. So, I mean, but that's quite far away. I mean, it's a good few streets away, that bomb. Yeah, oh, it's well, really well it's on the keys. Well, really, it, yeah. it's only well, about five minutes' walk to Talbot Street yeah. from where we live. But it so actually really knocks the, stuff off the Yeah, you're on, you're at the south side of the, of yeah. the Hapney Bridge. Mm. So as the crow flies, like, you're not that far from, mm. you know, from, from Talbot Street. But yeah, mm. that's it's, it's mad, you know. But that's stuff. I've got, I've got a really vivid memory of, of being a kid growing up. And then we moved out to Ballymun. Mm. and we moved into 15 Shangan Avenue and my sister wasn't well at the time and um, there was a ghost in the flat my mum and my dad said the the woman that lived there moved out because her husband died and he used to he must have been a cleanliness freak he used to go around flushing the toilet at night the ghost did yeah honestly I know it sounds mad now What's probably because my dad noise of the thing alright sorry yeah probably because my dad yeah. didn't flush it when he went to bed but he used to go around flushing it and they moved back into into town then and then from there the ghosts no not the ghost the ghost didn't move <laughs> the ghost the sorry. ghost stayed there he was happy enough <laughs> my ma your man dad did yeah sorry. and um, yeah it, it was crazy and then we moved back out to Ballymun again and we moved out to 16 Shangan Avenue mm. So we literally just moved across and the ghost. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> great crack. But did you see a ghost? No, I never no. seen a ghost. But you know what they used to say years ago? Mm. This is a taunt. And a kid said it to me the other day and I hadn't heard it for years and years and years. And a kid said to me, Willie Woy had a shy in the middle of the night, saw a ghost, eating toast, halfway up a lamppost. That's what the kids used to say to me. 
They used to sing that. Yeah, too. yeah. It's my ghost eating toast halfway up a lamppost. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Kids still say it to me and I'm 44 years yeah. of age. <laughs> so I lived there. I lived in 16 Shangan Avenue and spent my childhood there and had a really uh, crazy childhood. Lots of robbing horses and it was just wild. It was. I was actually only talking earlier on to my daughter just saying that my mother could never get me off the streets. Like there was no, you know, there was no computers and there was no, uh, there was no video games or, or anything like that. Mm. It was just make your own kind of fun, you know. Mm. And there was kick the can and there was a uh, British bulldog. You can bleep that out if you want it. And there was a uh, chasing and there was soldiers and there was just loads of stuff that didn't cost anything to do. Mm. But you got you got so much pleasure out of it and so much fun and. I mean, when the summer came in, like, we were gone from 10 o'clock in the morning, like, till 10 o'clock at night, you know, we'd be, we'd be looking for you. And there'd be no microwave back then, you'd be coming back to a dinner that just looked like a scab off an elephant's arse or something like that on a plate, like, and you'd still eat it with the hunger and the excitement of the day, and you'd be sitting there and you'd be telling your man about everything that happened, and you wouldn't be even able to catch a breath, like, you know. But did you go just, out to the countryside or did you hang around no, well, the I, flats? I, I, where where I lived, yeah, as a kid, like where? Yeah, well, I lived in the well, I lived down in Shangan Avenue, and it was before the houses were built on Shangan uh, down on Shangan. So we had fields. There was fields that went all the way up to Santry Forest, and we used to be in the fields, and there used to be a river, and you know, and there was just so much to do. And if you had a bike, you'd. You know, I, I've been a little bit older. We used to go down to St Anne's Park, and you know. Just a great, great childhood, like you know. Mm. It was just the two of us. It was myself, my sister, and me mother and my father. Like, and pff, that could be heavy. Mm. Like at sometimes, my mother and father like like the gargle, like you know. So mm. there was, I suppose, <laughs> the reality probably was I was out of the house most of the time, trying to escape from what was going on in the house because there was loads of stuff. Like to everyone else, it, it, it's like we looked pretty normal. Like you know, I mean, my father had a good job, my mother had a good job. We, it was dysfunction mm. all over, you know. It was it was horrible. And I used to seek solace and just kind of running wild. And 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 my sister, um, not not became a parent like, but just, um, she was just she was kind of just always there like, and always you know everything was gonna be all right. And um, it, it was to fall apart later on in my teens when my mother and father eventually split up. It was mm. it was going to happen like, and um. Then and I just what age your sister that looked after she she my sister's six years uh, older than me yeah and um and uh, what, what how many other kids are there none oh no just the no two it's years. just the two of us yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and um and she looked after you yeah she was great mm. she was brilliant she's she's passed on she's oh, really? she's Sorry. yeah she died uh, it's mad she actually died I'm, I'm forty four she was forty four and she passed in um two thousand and ten she she mm. died the seventeenth of October. She'd have been 50 in January. Yeah. And uh, she was a great person. And I miss her so much and I love her so much, you know. And she was just very instrumental in a lot of stuff that was to happen in my life in years ahead, like, you know. Mm. Um, and and, and my life would have been, you know, there was just lots of crazy stuff that went on. And I, I went to live in London when I was 16, like. Yeah. My sister gave me a crash course in how to cook and iron and... Um, it was mad, like, me and me mm. mate says we're going to London, like, you know, we thought we were men. And, and were uh, you going to school up to then? Or? 
Oh, let's school at 15. 15 um, yeah. With no education whatsoever. No, it was the intercert at the time. Mm. And me and my mate Boyo, uh, we bleached the results because they came out in pen back then. So my mate Boyo had a great idea that we get lukewarm water and bleach and we put the test results into the water. And I tell you, he was bleeding, right? All yeah. the results just floated off. And we had a blank sheet to write what we wanted in. And I was a genius for about a week in the house. <laughs> Until my mother and father, we'd no phone like back then, you know, and there was no mobiles. So it was A is A plus bleeding <laughs> Irish. My dad goes, jeez, I never knew you could speak Irish. Oh, you know yourself. <laughs> bleeding B in Irish, man. I can hardly speak English. <laughs> and uh, my dad thought it was a great fella and he bought me a lovely ring and all, you know, Blackstone was bleeding. And next of all, the letter came to the door. Oh, my Jesus. Yeah. Needless to say, I got battered. Um, <laughs> then and I went to live father, did he beat you? yeah he did yeah he was very good at that he's very good <laughs> at beating us <laughs> I think he used to just watch Monkey Magic to get a few moves off you know mm. sometimes you'd be walking down the hall and you just get a cracky kick into the neck <laughs> for nothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> saying that on the telly just thought I'd see if it worked on you mm. you know he was very violent and mm. um, yeah we were raised me and my sister were basically raised through the fist and and, and with and your ma was he the same or? my ma yeah my ma was known to throw a few boots and a few digs as well <laughs> but not as yeah. regular as me elfler mm. like you know um, my ma was a great woman with the sweeping brush I think mm. if there was sweeping brush throwing championships going on mm. my ma had got gold all the time we used to run down a hallway in the house and the sweeping brush would come out would be bleeding like crouching alco, hidden mm. flagging, you know, and the bleeding. Shit. She take the brush out when you were running. Whatever way she tossed the brush or threw it, you got tangled up in it yeah. and you fell. And then what ensued after that would usually be large portions of a few kicks or a few digs. But it was mad. Did they it, drink at home? Was that what they? No, they, they never. The no, they no. never, never drank at home. My father mm. had a good job. My father worked semi-state for the government. He worked like for Post and Telegraph, which mm. was then turned into a uh, telecom Aaron, and then it's as we know it now, it's Aircom. Mm. And um, he worked for them for years, and he held down a job. My mother had a really good job as well. My mother was only a small woman, or is only a small woman. And saying that, look, she's gone. She's still here, mm. and. Um, she worked as a Hoffman presser. She worked in the rag trade, worked for a lot of clothing companies around Dublin and was like headhunted by major big clothing companies. She was great at what she'd done. Like she was really good. Mm. And um, she she took to the drink a, a bit later than me old man. Me old man was just, he was very violent towards me mother and, and uh, me mum just got that thing into her head. You know, look, if I can't beat him, join him. Like, you know, and that and that's what happened. And then, so when that happened, it was inevitable that that things were going to go the way they were, like, you mm. know. And uh, yet they, they, me mum still to this day, me mother and father split up, I'd say when I was about 16, and me mum is just still so bitter about me father mm. and so resentful and just kind of brings up the past. And um, I... I just hate the past. I, well, especially stuff around my family and that. Like, I just, I don't, I'm not one of these fellas who wants to live in the past. All right, I done something yesterday, but yesterday is yesterday. Like, the past is the past, like, mm. you know. I'd rather live in the now, like, and kind of think about the future rather than, you know, the past. And my mind gets into it sometimes and I just say, look, I don't want to, I don't really want to talk about it. It's, it she still, up. Does she still drink? No, no. she doesn't. Very, yeah. very, very seldom. And my father's the same as well. It's mad yeah. because... 
I'm now looking at this man who's like 77 years of age, who's very sick. He's got two cancerous uh, tumours on his left lung and he's smoking since he's seven years of age. Mm. It's it's hard to believe. And believe me, you, I don't really want to go into it in the podcast, you know, cause, but my old man went through traumatic stuff when he was a young lad. Mm. There was a lot of stuff that went on with his father at home and... Um, He's never mentioned his dad to me as far, as long as I know him, and I know him like forty four years. Mm. And I always feared him. I I always feared him, and I always kind of, you know, I was always kind of afraid of this fella. And growing up, it was kind of instilled into me by my mother that I'd end up baiting him or I'd do whatever, you know. And I never did. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of glad I never did. And I mean, I go over to him. I was over to him. Over to him yesterday, and. You know, he's not well and I just go over and I just go over to see him because I love him and I understand what happened years ago and uh, I'm not looking for forgiveness. It is mm. the way it is the way it was, like, you know. He done the best with the tools that he had. Mm. Not that they were good enough, like, but I mean, when I actually have a look back and I talk to some of his brothers or his sisters about where he's had to coming from and have a look an insight into his life, um you know, he actually didn't do a bad job mm. at all, like, you know. But, uh, yeah, I understand that because you know, uh, say my father, he, he his father, hit him as well. Mm. You know, and you, so you can see where, as you're growing up, maybe you have uh, fallen out with your parents. But then, when you get older, you start thinking, well, how were they brought up? Do you know what I mean? Mm, Is that mom, what you mean? Yeah, my mum was the same as well. My mum had a horrible upbringing. Mm. Um, despised her mother. Despised yeah. her, like you know. Mm. And uh, she loved her father, by the sounds of things. I never got to meet any of me, any of me uh, grandfathers. Mm. They were both gone on by the time I was born, like, you know. Mm. And funnily enough, they never knew each other either. And they're actually buried only about seven feet away from each other. Up Who in the graveyard. Knew each other? They, uh, they're the my, my, my two grand... My, oh, your yeah, parents. Yeah, my, yeah, they never knew parents. each other. Yeah, my dad's yeah. dad and my mother's dad yeah. never knew each other. Oh, but yeah. they're buried literally... Feet away from each other in the cemetery. We're in Glasnevin. No, they're up in uh, they're up in Mount Jerome, the area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, so you know, family is just look at come here. You, you just there's no brochure when you're born to pick the parents that you get. Like you mm. know, I know he just was was born into one of them families where there was loads of this. My father came from a family of sixteen. Like you know. Mm. My dad actually told me that he used to go over to the fruit markets over in Dublin and he used to get a bale of straw every couple of weeks to sleep on. I know he was laughing, like, and he was going, I actually don't know what you're laughing at. He says, I'm actually a little bit offended. He says, that's what we had to do, like, you know. Sixteen kids in a two-bedroom flat. You know, it's actually an old joke. And when my dad actually used to say to me, he used to say, you know, he said, we were that poor growing up. He says that if you didn't wake up on Christmas morning with an erection, you had nothing to play with. You know, like, they were... Broke like ten of them went to London mm. in the in the early fifties, like mid fifties went over to London, and out of the sixteen of them, those four left. Yeah, and my dad is in one. We've got me me uncle Naki, me uncle John, who was the sensible one out of a whole lot of them. Mm. He lives in London and has lived in London for years. I think he's about eighty two, eighty three. And then there's me dad's brother Tommy. He lives in London as well. He's probably about 79. He's a couple of years older than me dad. And then there's me dad's youngest brother, Buster. And uh, he's, I think he's 62, 63. Mm. And then there's me dad, like, you know. And did, when you went to London, did you did you 
have any association with your uncles or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I kind of stayed close to family yeah. for a while. Like, I mean, I, I went over to London and um, I, I kind of... Uh, I hung around with Irish guys for the first while I was there, like, and then mm. um, a lot of stuff, a, a lot of stuff happened in the place where I lived. A couple of lads died from from drug abuse and that. And um, but was that like a rented or a squat or was it, <laughs> it was like a squat? squat yeah, 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 and yeah. it was madness. It yeah. was literally, it was crazy. It was like Ballymun's most wanted. Uh, not that I was one of them. Like I was kind of. Mm straight enough at, at the time but uh, we lived yeah. in a place called Manor House up beside Finsbury Park and uh, Needwood Downs was the name of the place and it was just mental it yeah. was just crazy what was going on and when the second lad died that we lived with there what kind of is it, are you talking heroin here or? Yeah, yeah yeah two yeah. two of the lads died of uh, of heroin overdoses um, I, when the second lad died I just says listen I, I, I I, I wasn't actually taking heroin at the time. I just said, look, I'm going to get out of here. And I went down to live in Hackney then, which mm. my uncle, my dad's eldest brother, was there at the time. So it was handy enough for me to go down there. And my job there was a couple of buses to get to work. And I was only a young fellow. I was only about 17, like, mm. you know. Um, thought I knew everything, but kind of knew nothing, you know. And uh, yeah, it was to live there then, then for a few years and, and spend a bit of time in London. And then... You know, through circumstances of events and 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 uh, drugs that had been taken over there. When I went over there, the the ecstasy scene was just kind of hitting mm. London, and uh, and it was great. Like you know, it, mm. I felt um, <laughs> all the love and affection that I never got as a child. I was getting it in abundance on Friday and Saturday night off strangers. Like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, people hugging me, and it was just great crack. And I used to go out with my cousin, and you'd end up out in air hangers out in the middle of nowhere, and it was just it was just great it was real innocent like there was no kind of you know that this had spoiled out of control or it would get any way difficult like mm. things were fairly manageable I still had a job with a little flat and um, I was getting boy and I wasn't in any kind of financial difficulty or anything like that you know but uh, little it was, was I to it know was just at the weekend you'd do it yeah recreation yeah. at the weekend smoked yeah. a lot of weed and, and yeah. hash during the week but it didn't really interfere with me walk like I still got up for walk every morning I mm. Saved me time as a butcher over there working in in a, in a butcher's up in Wood Green. But then, you know, somewhere along the line, I, I started taking a lot of LSD and um, mm. I ended up taking me auntie and a mate and my cousin hostage in a house over in London. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know why. Or I was. Uh, so you're taking like LSD? Are you getting? Um you're I, I actually, I, yeah, I or, was. I, I actually got a bad trip and um, yeah. We were doing a Ouija board like the night before and I'm not saying yeah. that that was anything to do with it but things just kind of got a bit on top of me and I thought I kind of thought that um, the IRA were following me that right. was the whole thing that I had in my head and um, it was nothing to do with that at all it was just uh, I was just par I was suffering with bad paranoia, paranoia. and um, and I went down to my aunties and uh, I thought she was involved in it that she was kind of trying to set me up and Jesus, the poor woman had nothing to do with it at all. Were oh, you tripping at the time? Or? Yeah, you she were. she kind of suffered the wrath of it for over two days. I had her in the in the flat for you know. What, what, what do you mean? You like you barricaded the? Yeah, I barricaded them in. Yeah, the poor woman only came round for a cup of tea. That was there. She was just kind of a, two days. Yeah, yeah, it was madness. And then I ended up getting, 
Oh yeah, they ended up going to uh, uh, court in um, the police come or yeah, the police eventually came, yeah, 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 and took me out, and I got sectioned, and they they put me into um, an intensive care psychiatric unit mm. in the Homerton in London, and uh, that was just it was just you know pardon the poem crazy like mm. um, I was very very unwell, and um, my drug using had caught up with me. And this is just ecstasy and LSD. Ecstasy, no. LSD, and smoking weed, basically. Smoking weed. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. I I firmly believe that I had a lot more to do with the weed and the hash than I had with the LSD. Mm. That's just my my take on it, you know. It can make you very paranoid, weed. I I can't smoke joints at all. I get completely paranoid immediately. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, later yeah. on, I mean, I didn't learn me lesson that first time. But I ended mm. up in that place for about seven months, and mm. um. Jeez, I could write a book on half of the stuff that happened in there, like some very f- funny stuff, yeah, and um, some very tragic kind of stuff as well. I remember um, there was two locked doors before you go into this place, so you had to ring a bell because it was a, it was like a locked it was a locked ward, like so you couldn't mm. walk in and out because the people that were in it, myself included, were bonkers, like to say the least, like you know. Mm. And I had known. That when they opened the two doors to bring in the food trolley, there was like a double food trolley to bring the food in, mm. that the two doors got opened and I knew where the stairs was to get out. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I planned to escape one day, mm. which I have to say went very well. I got out, I got down the road, I probably looked a little bit out of place. Maybe I wouldn't now if it was Ballybock because I had pyjamas on <laughs> and uh, I was running through the streets of Homerton and... Um, it was just mad and I went to take this uh, young black lad off his go-kart he had like a petrol go-kart and mm. my deluded head with the drugs I was on was saying I'll get this and I'll drive to the airport and then I'll get a plane home like mm. uh, brilliant idea um, and he wouldn't let go of the, uh, the the go-kart it was obviously very expensive and I gave him a couple of slaps and um, we ended up going into the we ended up trying to knock back on me auntie's house who had kept hostage and for some reason, I think if she was in, I don't think if she'd have looked out the window and seen me that I was coming in for the sequel, like, you know. So uh, mm. needless to say, she never opened the door. And then I went into the church. There was a Catholic church on our road down in Clapton. And when I came out of the church, um, I don't think my prayers were answered because the guy who had tried to take the go-kart off, him and three other bigger black lads were there. And I'll never forget it. Wimbledon was on at the time. And they had tennis rackets. And my Jesus, they served me up and down the road. And I ended up walking back to the hospital. That was some escape from running down the street. Uh, I came back to the hospital. Me, the blood was matted in my hair, yeah. and uh, I just got battered. Um, <laughs> that that was kind of that escapade, and in, in there it was it was madness. Like, wow. and I was I, I was to go into another one after that over here when I come home and. So you were in there with, were there mostly people who had uh, delusions from, from drug taking and no, paranoia? No, yeah, but just, the, yeah, paranoia, oh. schizophrenia, schizophrenia, yeah. and those people who came from prisons and yeah. there was, you know, there was people that were just mentally ill as well, like, you know? Yeah. And even though I was ill, and I mean, my sister would have played a big part as well. I went home. My mother come over um, mm. and she kind of done a lot of the visits and that and, and subsequently she stayed there mm. for about 20 years after that. She's only, my mum's only home in the last few years, you know. Right. But since I was in there, I was about 19 when I was in there and um, my mum come over, yeah, and uh, when I went home then she stayed there, you know. Mm. She got herself a little flat and she, she lived over there and I was to go back and forward. 
a good few times over the, the next few years after mm. that. I, I never thought I'd get off the amount of tablets. I was on a serious amount. Of I was on like hal, hal, an injection of Haldol once a week, Halperidol, Cogentil, Lithium, um, Ligactol, a lot of psychiatric drugs. When I got home, I was probably nearly 18 stone yeah. and very, very unwell. And um, my sister took me in again and, and nosed me and looked after me and brought me to the psychiatric clinic and... You know, it was just always there. She never come over once when I was in the hospital. She said she didn't want to come over. She'd get too upset, like, you know. Mm. But when I come home, she was there for me at, like, 110%, you know, mm. and helped me and, and, you know, and nursed me. And I got back on my feet again, but was to do the same thing again a couple of years later, you know. No hostages this time, just kind of mm. ended up a bit bonkers again and ended up in Dundrum. The same, did you t- start taking the same drugs again? Yeah, started taking the same drugs again. Do, do, I was doing oh. the same things, looking for different results, basically, and uh, yeah. it was never to happen. Yeah. Um, one thing I kind of found out was that there's a thin line between genius and insanity. Not that mm. I was genius, like, but I suppose the thin line between normality and insanity would probably be yeah. want of a better better words, like you know. Mm. So I ended up in Dundrum, and then I ended up in I ended up in uh, Vincent's on the Richmond Road, and. And then after that, I got back on my feet again. And needless to say, I never took LSD or, mm. you know, ease after that. And it was just to get, get into different drugs in my life to kind of take on a different tone altogether, you know. I started taking heroin probably at about 20 years of age. Yeah. And that that just kind of opened the whole can of other stuff, like, you know... Uh, Prisons and why? Why did you take heroin at first? I well, to smoke at first. Yeah, we it? smoked. We used to come out of raves, yeah. and and when you'd mm. be taking these, it was a really nice way to, to come, come down. down yeah. yeah, so mm. I, I was never interested in it because I knew what it done. Like I was very mm. kind of clever in one sense and stupid in another because I'd seen the two lads over in London die, and I'd yeah. I'd know what heroin does, like you know, but. Uh, I, I, I just I, I took it a couple of times and then phew, I actually liked it and then with the you know the stupid kind of thing I said to myself so geez I'll see what it's like without the years like you know mm. and just take it on its own and that mm. then that just just happened and then I phew, things just got a bit mad and I just ended up uh, stuck on the prison then for what? Um, stupid things first and foremost you know just shoplifting and breaking into places and yeah. you know uh, small sentences like three months first of all and then six months and then you know you do 18 months and it was just every time I ended up in prison it was always drug related like you know it was always always drug related and you, is it for money to, to buy her yeah money yeah. to buy drugs yeah yeah. yeah. And and were, most, you, were you injecting Oh yeah, I did. I start. I yeah. start injecting then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, start injecting a, a, a while after, and uh, drilled myself really into the ground, and and, and you know, like uh, near the end of my using, like I'd have been using my groin, and I'd been using yeah. my neck and my feet, and it was just a horrible, horrible existence. And I never. That must be a huge jump from smoking to injecting. Oh. Is it? Yeah, but come here, it's, 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 it's inevitable for a lot of people to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of lads get away with it who just, you know, keep smoking for years and years yeah. and years. And then there's other fellas who don't, you know. Yeah. I, um, I was just one of them fellas who didn't. Like, I just kind of wanted the quick fix, like, pardon the pun, you know. I just yeah. wanted to get, 
I just wanted to get stoned quick and I mean yeah. at the end of my using the drugs that just really kind of stopped working for me you know yeah. um, I ended up back in London I, I got caught with a, with, a, with a couple of ounces of uh, a couple of ounces of heroin um, in 1996 it was and I went on the run for a while over to London and then I got nicked in like early 1997 and um, I got extradited back from, from London which sounds really like that I was a gangster or something like that it was nothing like that at all I was a petty criminal and I was a drug addict and uh, I was very very sick and I come home to, to, to do three and a half years in prison for that crime and um, for the for the, for the for the possession yeah with yeah. intent to supply mm-hmm. Um but there was light at the end of the tunnel. I thought when I got nicked over in London in, in, in Stoke Newington that day, and my mum was there, my mum always got the brunt of me using it. I had a bad crack cocaine addiction as well at that time, and uh, I was drinking a lot of methadone, and I was very underweight, and I was very sick, and I'd, you know, my teeth were in bits, and I just, you know, it was just really... I thought when I got nicked that day that that was the end of my life, like, you know, and little did I know that it was... It, it was to be the beginning of what was going to happen, like, you know. Mm. And the last prison sentence I done was the best prison sentence I ever done, like, you know. And was that um, was in Mountjoy, is it? Mountjoy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, done in Mountjoy and uh, I got a review after three and a half years and um, along that way, I, I start going to, uh, I start going to this 12-step program in, uh, in, in, inside in prison. And uh, a lad said to me, come on up here, there's free cigarettes. And and I just kind of went up kind of for the ride and I didn't really know what was going on. But mm. look, something happened and I got me help off a prison officer, a prison officer that uh, my partner used to babysit for, get me, said to me, look, if you need any help or you want a detox or anything like that, let me know. So mm. I eventually went to him for help. People that I kind of despised for years, I, I, I went to this fella and I just said, look, I, I knew it was near me time to get out. Like there was like about a year left, and uh, I said, "Look, I, I desperately need your help. I, I, I can't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. And I was using in prison, and I was just, you know, it was just, it was no life at all. Like you know, I was mad because when I got extradited home originally, I was clean. Like for the first time in years, oh. and uh, but I went over and I done a detox. It was a week's crash course in methadone, and uh, I went to the medical unit in Mountjoy and then from there I was actually in the medical unit at that time God rest him when Liam Lawler came in do you remember Liam Lawler yeah, the yeah. TD and uh, who got really special treatment when he came in like it was it was mad but um, how do you okay. mean yeah it's just mad because when you get politicians and you get people coming in like that they, they, they bend the rules for them you know I think if you go to prison no matter who you are what you have what colour you are yeah. or what religion you are you should be treated like course, everyone yeah. else and I mean, like, when we were locked up, he was out, like, you know. And when we were out, he was locked up. Mm. You know, so they kind of... They, they wouldn't let him... They wouldn't let him mix with the mix with the prison population. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I can honestly say that the lads that were on the land and that I was on, that time, there's no one of the... Look, we'd have had a bit of crack, but there'd have been no pleading malice, like. Mm. It wasn't if his, anyone had raped him or anything like that, you know, because he wasn't that good looking in any way, you know. <laughs> um, 
You know, no, it was nothing like that. There had a bit of bit of crack and there had a bit of bit of bit of banter. But he wouldn't have got trouble in, in any sense of the word of being physically attacked or anything like that, mm. I know for a fact, you know. Mm. But they, they bent the rules around him and inevitably the poor chap was to lose his life in anyway mm. a couple of years later in a car crash with uh, one of his assistants, I think it was in Russia or something like that, was it? Was it was in Russia, yeah. And yeah, God, yeah, God rest him, like, you know, so... Um, the uh, headline was that he died with her, initially that he died with a prostitute. It turned yeah, well out they it wasn't. Are it wasn't. They are your personal helper, aren't they? Really, when you think about it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just do stuff for you that you can't do yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, when you're inside, like I, I did one of those uh, comedy gigs in Manchester for lifers. I think you were meant to do it and you couldn't do it. That's night. right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I thought it, I think it would have been a lot easier for you. Yeah, because, it's mad. Yeah, but, because, uh, yeah, I got I got yeah. out and uh, I got out in 2001, and um. I had met Des Bishop in prison. Des wasn't in prison yeah. now at so the time. So how did you meet Des? Did, was Des coming in to visit prisoners? I, yeah, I, Des was in like kind of doing a talk and uh, I, I met him right. and um, and it just kind of happened that he knew a couple of guys that I knew mm. and uh, we just talked a few times and, and it was crazy because when I got out of prison and I got clean um. I met up with Des a couple of times and the initial whole Joy in the Hood mm. episode was actually all meant to be about me. The whole six part oh, series. Oh really, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was about to it was meant to be about me getting out of prison and embarking on the world of stand up comedy. Mm. And uh they they had footage of me for the six weeks. You know, whatever. And I mean I, I, I thought about it and I went and I met him and um I'm really, really delighted that I didn't do it. I am now because mm. Well, it had just kicked up so much stuff from... I'd have been actually branded the drug addict criminal comedian, for starters. You know, and I could have ended up on The Late Late, and I could have ended up on a lot of radio shows, and I think it would have been just a, a flash in the pan, so to speak, you know? So I opted mm. not to do it, and um, I just said to Des, look at... Des was very good, and he was very understanding. He says, look at... I totally understand what you want to do, and I respect that, and... Uh, I just says, look, if anything else comes available that you think you can use me, and I says, you know, look, I was, I was out probably a year then, and I was back into the normal run of society, and I was paying taxes, and I was working mm. in a job, and I'd had a new kid. Well, my partner had a new kid, and uh, I just didn't want to upset an awful lot of people for a little bit of fame and a little bit of limelight, you know. Um, I could honestly say that my situation had been different, and I'd no partner, and I'd no kids, and you know. Maybe I would have, but yeah, I'm glad now I didn't, you know. Maybe it's better to talk about it now that you've established yourself as a comedian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, definitely. If you definitely. were, if you hadn't, if you're only starting out, I understand that. That it would, that would have, yeah, you hadn't actually learned the whole yeah, yeah. trade of being a comedian. Yeah, so when the joined the, when the joined the Hood program come out, yeah. which, which some people remember me for, probably six or seven of them, um, I... I was glad that that was the way I kind of got the introduction to stand up. Mm. That it wasn't like, here's a guy getting out of Mount Joy prison mm. who's been a heroin addict and, you know, who's committed crimes. And you'll always get people who want to know, what did you do? Did you do this? Did you do mm. that? And I just kind of thought to myself, listen, I'm after paying my debt to society and mm. I've, I've went to prison and my freedom has been took away. And, you know, you get these arseholes that get on phone shows and stuff going oh it's a holiday camp up there and it's bleeding not a holiday yeah. camp you know I don't know I tell you as far as I know Butlin's down and bleeding 
Betty's telling them, lock the doors at half seven in the bleeding night. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Dan Lowry's doesn't get closed at half seven in the night down in Portland. It's prison is a tough, tough place. Yeah. How, and long, I mean, how long are you, uh, how much time do you get out of your cell when you're in? Well, your day basically, when you're in yeah. mainstream prison, when you're in Mountjoy, your day begins at eight o'clock in the morning, you get opened up mm. and you go down and you get your breakfast and your breakfast will consist of, uh, of either cornflakes or, there's no porridge, believe it or not. No. Cornflakes, Weetabix or whatever, mm. bread and a cup of tea. Mm. That's what you have for your breakfast. Mm. And then you're locked back up till about nine o'clock and then they let you out and you can go and you can have a wash or whatever and then you're out then from about you know they open this, you can go and see the governor or you can go and see the welfare or if you need to see the doctor or stuff like that you can do that mm. and and then you can for, from 10 till 12 you, you're, you're kind of it's recreation time you can go to the yard or if you have a job you can go and do that job mm. inside the grounds like you can't yeah. <laughs> walk up to O'Connell Street and walk in a <laughs> shop like um, yeah you, what kind of jobs? Well, you could walk in the in in the metal shop, or you could walk down in the fabric shop, or you could walk in the bake. There's a bakery, mm. or you could walk in the kitchen, mm. um, or you could walk hunting the lads dig the tunnel. And um, <laughs> no, you could, you know, it was. Uh, or else you could just do what I done a lot of the time, which was nothing. You know, you walk around the yard anti-clockwise, um, which is the rule in all kind of prisons. It's yeah. everyone walks anti-clockwise. So uh, you can do that, or uh, or you can go to the gym. You mm. know, it's not. It's come here. It's not great with any stretch no, of the imagination. It's, it's very mundane, of course, yeah. and it's very boring. And uh, mm. you know, there's a lot of drug use in Mountjoy when I was there. Like it was in full swing, and um, mm. so my days was just kind of kind of consumed with that. And then we got an opportunity. Then when when I was in, we done a couple of plays. Like you know. Mm. We done uh, we done Barcel Boy and I played mm. Scalero in uh, in Bernard Beans Barcel Boy yeah. and then we done uh, we done the Plough on the Stars and I played Flute are Good in the Plough on the Stars and the people from the Gaiety who were actually doing the Plough on the Stars at the time come in to watch it you know yeah and uh, yeah it was it was great it was it was actually a great escape like to do stuff like that you know. Mm. To go up and 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 perform and it kind of took you away from prison for that while you were up there, you mm. know, and 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 just made things seem a little somewhat kind of normal, you know, and uh, and I mean, there's lots of lads that I that would have been in that play with me that are no longer here, like that have died through drug abuse or maybe been shot dead or killed in cars or something to do with crime and anyway or drugs somewhere along the line. Like prison is a revolving door if you wanted to be a revolving door, but I mean. I just, when I got out on that sentence, I just had enough of it. Mm. Look, I just said to myself, look, you know, I said, I, 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 look, what what do I do? Look, I had the choice. I got out, I was clean, and it was like, do I take this road or do I take that road? And I just took the right road, you know? And um, Look, what? You, you are in a minority in that sense, aren't you? Oh, Most yeah. Most people don't. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Look, if you get out of there, you use and you've still got a drug habit, I mean, the chances are you're going back. Yeah. you're definitely going back Look, it's just a case of when are you going back yeah. you know and if you don't go back you, you'll probably end up uh, old in or you'll probably end up getting killed or something will happen to you mm. you know um, excuse me so I was very fortunate that I didn't go back to that way of life and I got an outlet and I uh, do you know what what was it that made you change your mind what 
Do you know what? I, as I said, I, 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 you know, I, I can't kind of mention where I go to through, you know, we're not allowed at the level of press or television. Like, but the 12 step yeah. program, yeah. I got on to and, and, I, and I start going to, to, to these meetings and, um, mm. and I got great support off people and I got great support off old friends mm. who were clean and who were living and enjoying a different way of life. And um, I just wanted this. Mm. I just says I'm gonna give this a go, and and I mean I gave it a go, and and t- touch wood, you know. And does it, have you ever come close to going back? No, I haven't. No, no. I've no. I've thought about it sometimes, and I've pondered the thoughts, and but the worst thing for me, I mean, mm. I, I don't even drink. Like I, mm. if I drink, I'm I'm gone. Like because yeah. Look, none of us even who don't take drugs make silly decisions when they're drunk. Like you know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, drink would just be a justification for me to do what I want to do what I mean I was never a big drinker in any way like you know well I did I did I drank I drank a lot like and drink got me into an awful lot of trouble and brought me to stupid places mm. but I mean drugs just kind of nailed me down and, and dragged me all around the place so I mean mm. I, I I just kept going to these meetings and, and, and things worked out and then the and then when the comedy started to major yeah, when you, did, did you start doing gigs no I didn't no. I I met Des, we were at this function one time yeah. and um, there was an auction at it and the bloke mm. asked me to do the auction, like, you know, yeah. I'd never done... Well, I'd, I've always kind of been known to sing a song or whatever, like, but, but I've been kind of very witty yeah. all, all along as a kid. I mean, I was always a clown, class clown in school and that. And, yeah. um, so i done this auction and it was just all different kinds of stuff that was getting auctioned and yeah. just had a laugh, like, and Des was in Stitches lap. He says to me, he says, you know what, man? He says, you're very funny and, and whatever. And then the joy and the hood thing come up and uh, yeah. the first one was the, uh, it was the pilot, which they done in Ballymun. Yeah. So he asked me would I get involved in it and I said I would and we went up and got involved in it and there's only really myself and Eric, I think. Eric Lawler. Yeah, yeah, and I think Kevin Goldsmith, I don't know, I haven't seen Kevin in a while. I know he was gigging up to, up to a while ago there. Mm. And uh, there was only really from, from Cork, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, yeah, and uh, there was only really us three. Quite not, and then you know there was a couple. Well, Kevin wasn't really with us. Kevin was in the Cork, yeah, the Cork episode. But I mean, out of Bally Moon, it was only really me and Eric, like yeah. you know. And uh, and so did you? You did your first gig as part of that show, was it? I did my first gig as part of that show yeah. out in the Axis out in Bally Moon, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I actually walked on building like um, when I was. In early recovery, I had a job on the construction end of that, that place, and I oh, done my first gig there. in the theatre, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah, 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 and yeah, the civic yeah. offices. Yeah, so it was, it, yeah, it was, yeah. it was mad. It was just, you see, I'd have walked around my area where I lived with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for a, for a lot of the stuff that I'd done when I lived out there, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of very hard to get from that place, you know, of having your your chin on your chest all the time walking around. The kind of somewhat kind of raising it up and holding your head high and went, look at, come here, I done, I done wrong and I done whatever, but it paid me, me debt to society and you yeah. know, and this is where I am now. And people gave me a dig out, you know. People were very forgiving and people were, they, were yeah. very understanding. Yeah. You always get your odd, you know, head case or whatever that have something to say. But I mean, yeah. what can you do? Like, not everyone's going to be happy, Eddie. You know. Yeah. That was my first gig, and we we kind of had a year's head start myself and Eric, because the program didn't come out for about a year, you know, mm. and uh, so we were just doing open spots everywhere. And I had an old car at a '92 Toyota Corolla Estate, 
and we drove the length and breadth of the country doing gigs for nothing, like, you know. And I remember the first time we got paid, we were down in the full moon, in, or the half moon theatre in Cork. Was that was the half moon or the full uh, moon? Yeah, I don't know. It's one at the back of the opera house. Do you know the one? Oh, one yeah, one yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And your man gave us 50 quid, and yeah. Jesus Christ, we hit the big time, like, between the two of us, like, you know, the diesel <laughs> was probably that. about, the diesel was yeah. probably about 70. Yeah, I remember but, the first pay gig, 20 quid or something, and me and Paul Tyler, like, delighted. Yeah, oh, I've arrived. I've arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't see, I tell you, if I got six numbers on the lot, there'd be less excitement. Yeah. I, we, me and Eric were just losing it, you know? Yeah. We were going 50 quid, 25 Cause, cause, quid each. you're going, this is something, we do this for the crack anyway. Do you know but I mean? you know, it was great. Like, it was great uh, because when we were getting booked for gig, gigs after that and they were going open spots, we were going, oh no, we're getting paid now. Yeah. <laughs> <Do> you know? <laughs> and people are going like, oh are you? <laughs> you know, how much are you getting? <laughs> You'd be taking on 20, oh yeah, yeah, we can manage that. You'd, you'd hold you know? out for 20 quid. Yeah, yeah, you can have me for 20. You'd hold out for 20. We'll do a tweet out. <laughs> No, but it was great. It was it, it was a great it was a great um, starting point for us. Mm. I mean, so we were really up and off the ground about a year before the program came out, and yeah. then when the program came out, the Bally Moon one, like we were just getting, but we were just getting loads of gigs. Like you know, mm. it was it was great. Like it was the whole experience. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I met great people. And I mean, even the likes of yourself, like when you come out and done the Axis and when we started Axis, that club. Yeah. yeah, we started the House of Fun comedy club. That was brilliant. Club. It was great. It was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, some of the acts we had out there, we'd Sarah yeah. Milliken out there. Like, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, Sarah Milliken flew over yeah. from England and done a gig for us. Like, Amazing. you know, for a few hundred euro, we were like, wow. Jesus yeah, um, and Jason we Bourne been out there with Jason time. Bourne with yeah. Tommy Tiernan yeah, yeah Tommy yeah. came out three times and yeah. never never took a fee off us really honest to God he Fair says play. one of the best gigs he's ever done was out there yeah yeah and then we'd we all the big names we'd Maxwell we'd mm. PJ Gallagher yeah, yeah. you know we'd Delamere and yeah, it was a great gig. It was, it was great. And I, then I just started things, you know, you talked about the Mount Joy thing. I started mm. doing a few things in Mount Joy then as well. Mm. Started going in and doing a few gigs and, you know, went in with PJ and went in with Neil Delamere and went in with Maxwell and a few other lads. And it was, it was actually great going back in and hosting. I felt this real sense of, uh, that I was giving the prisoners a bit of hope, like, you know, mm. that here was this, you know, I mean, because like, through my addiction, I was homeless on the because streets. They and saw what happened I was you. down yeah. and out. Yeah. I was a, like, rock bottom, bottom of the heap drug addict, like, you know. And it was mad to walk back into this establishment that controlled me for years, like, and get up on a stage and have the crack with the lads. Mm. And some of them still there from when I was there, you know, and say, look, it doesn't have to be like this, lads. It mm. doesn't. You know, and have a bit of laugh and... I remember one time going up and I was having a bit of crack. Me and Delamere was on doing a show and Jarlett. And it was such a mad lineup. And I swear, I said something that night. Um, there was a fella talking down the back of the room um, who, God bless him, he's dead now. He got murdered a couple of years ago. And he was actually a mate of mine growing up, you know. And he was talking and he was melting out of him. And I says, do you know what? Do you know what your problem is? I says, that's why you're in here. I says, you can't keep your bleeding mouth shut. I says, and just as he said that, a prison officer walked in the door who had been tucking on a section of the murder of another prison officer in 1991. Yeah. Now the man, for the record, 
had nothing to do with it whatsoever. But it was known that he was taken in for it. And just as I told your man that he couldn't keep his mouth shut down the back of my mate, he in walks this fella. And I just turned around and went, now here's a man who can keep his mouth shut, I said. And the prison erupted. <laughs> and Delamere and Jarlett, uh, Neil and, and Jarlett, Charlotte Reagan didn't, didn't know what was after happening. But all the prisoners knew, because it was common knowledge yeah. in the prison, what was after happening with this fella. Yeah. And they lost it. Like, it was it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, Jarlett got up, and he, he won't be ashamed to say he struggled. Yeah. He was looking at a guy who was sitting in the front row with two empty seats beside him reading the star <laughs> while he was on, you know. <laughs> And Jarlett says to him, what's the, hey buddy, what's the story with the two empty seats? Mm. He says, they're for the fucking riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. The, the, the thing about doing a prison gig is when you're up on stage and you're doing, you know, you know when you stay in a hotel and you go, oh, no, you don't really. <laughs> yeah. You know when you're walking down the street yeah. and you go, oh no, you haven't walked down the street. Well, yeah. you have. But. And he couples in. <laughs> 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 yeah so, you know when you're getting uh, your face cut off you in the toilets <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's uh, it's, it's, anyway. uh, it's mad because it, it's just mad it, it, I was only in there a while ago and mm. uh, me and John Killeary and we're actually going in next Tuesday again we're going into yeah. the training unit in Glengariff Parade and we're doing a comedy workshop oh, kind of like Joy in the Hood but Joy in the Joy yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah uh, we're going in and we're going to do about six weeks with prisoners. Yeah. And the same thing, get them up at the end of it to tell a few jokes Brilliant. or whatever it may be. So it's John's going in tomorrow night and then next Tuesday I'll go in for six weeks and we'll 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 uh we'll go through stuff for them. And it's great, look, it's just it's given it's just for me personally, it's just giving a little bit back, look, you know. Mm. That's all it is. And uh, you know, um the there's a lot of good blokes in there. Come here, there's a lot of blokes in there for horrible, horrible stuff, like, you know. Mm. But there's a lot of fellas who's in there, like, you know, who's just in there, like, kind of through circumstances of events in their lives that they just kind of fell on hard times and, and just ended up doing, doing some jail for, mm. for stuff, you know. A lot, a lot of drug related kind of stuff. There's other fellas who just, you know, in a moment of madness, probably having a few drinks, done something mm. ridiculous and just end up getting five or six years or, Mm. Or whatever, it's a it's a crazy place. Like, and and what would be the best way to cut the circle? Do you know what I mean? To stop the circle? Because basically, what's the point in prison if it's just fellas doing time, going out for a few months and back in again? There needs yeah, the need the there needs to be more rehabilitation on the drug end of things. I mm. think. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely needs to be more beds um, available inside prison detoxes. Mm. Uh, I think there needs to be. Uh, drug-free wings, which I'm t I think there is at the moment in Mount Joy. I think mm. one of the wings is completely drug-free. Yeah. And uh, which I think is a great thing. Yeah. Um, I think there should be a lot more 12-step uh, programs involved in prisons. Um, I know, personally speaking, from from my own experience, that going up into prison to 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 do meetings or whatever. It, it's it's very hard. A lot of prison officers make things very difficult for you. And I don't realise why they do because we're actually trying to cut down the prison population because, I mean, there's me now after like 14 and a half years has not been back to prison. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, So that is a good thing in itself. cut down on crime. Cut, you know I mean? Yeah, so, well, it's going to stop the revolving yeah. door because, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 
you know, the meetings and that is going to help people, like, you know. It's the it's the only way out. For me personally, it was the only way out was total mm. abstinence altogether, like, you know. But, you know, I th- there's, there should be an awful lot more done. I think there's too much many, much money spent on uh, methadone clinics and, and, and that type of crap, I'd like to call it. Because oh, methadone rather than, doesn't work, no. Rather than recovery. Yeah. You know, there should be... I mean, you've got Ballmount Hospital, which is a detox unit. I think there's 26 beds in it. Yeah. And they close it down on Christmas. They close it down the day before Christmas Eve. Yes. The most vulnerable time of any person that's trying to get himself together. I'm sure you know what we're going to do. We close for Christmas. We're going to throw you out. Close it down on Christmas? Yeah, honest to God, like, it's crazy. They should do a lot more. And they should. I mean, when the Celtic Tiger was booming, they should have looked after the health service, you know, uh, hospitals, yeah, which no you know, one gave a shit hospitals, about anything then yeah, during the Celtic hospitals and, the worst time. and built yeah, another, built another few, yeah. built another few detox units for people. Yeah, you know, for whether it be it from drink or be it from drugs, mm. because I mean, any of the murders or any of the big crimes that's going on in this city at the moment is all either drug or drink related. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of people like murdered with knife attacks in any part of this country sober. People don't do that sober. Like they're either in the, under the influence of drink or drugs. Yeah. And I mean, if we have the resources to combat stuff like that and help people who really need help and yeah. give them the beds and give them the, you know, the the, the help that they need, sure, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna help everybody. Yeah, I don't understand why they won't put money into that because it does cost money anyway to keep a prisoner in prison. It costs. Yeah, yeah, it does. It costs. Year. Yeah, so it costs an awful lot of money. Like you know, so I think it's it's a lot easier to put them in the uh, detox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, how, but uh, how? So what? <laughs> are you a professional comedian now? Is that what no, you do all the time? You're no, not. No, no, no. no. I'm not. Yeah. Um, as like Eric Lawler said, I was told not to give up my day job with my mates. So, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I can't believe you're I not. I would love. Do you know what, Joe? I would love nothing more than to be a full time comic, mm. being able to gig in this country. Mm. Uh, it's like the famine ships at the moment here for comedians, Irish comedians. They're all going abroad. Like but there isn't enough work in Ireland. Eleanor's gone to London. Eleanor's gone. Eleanor's she, gone to live in London. Mo- moving, She's yeah. gone. She went after Edinburgh. All right. Okay, you've got the yeah. likes of Rory O'Hanlon. You've got Charlotte yeah. Regan. Yeah. You've got Chris Kent. Well, there isn't enough work. You've got there Andrew used to be, Maxwell. There used to be a, a regular club in Limerick. Yeah, that's Galway right. Yeah, and Cork, and now they're well, there is not regular in Cork, but there's nothing in Galway, nothing I in Limerick, just and all the. Theatres used to have yeah. comedy regularly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just whack me elbow there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, I know it's gone to I shit. just think that each county in this country mm. could do with a comedy club. People have to if go, not though. once here, listen to me, if not once a week, once a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. there has to be a theatre out there or arts group that go, you know what, whether it's I'll tell you where comedy always suffered for me and it tried to get off the ground so many times was down in Waterford. Oh, you know, yeah, and now yeah, Flash yeah. got, you know, he, he tried and he tried and he yeah. tried and it was just like an obese duck just trying to get off the ground that just couldn't get up. Like, mm. it get probably six flaps at two feet in the air and it just kept falling, like, you know. Yeah. Um, Waterford, People Wex, want to see Wexford. names now. They don't want to go. Do you know no. what I mean? They used to go to a comedy club and they didn't know who was on. They just trust that it'd be a good night out. You have to be but a man now, off the telly. The man off the telly is what they want to you see. You have to be <laughs> a man off the telly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if the man off the telly is shit. 
we need someone to get really famous and get a show uh, yeah. the likes of Al Porter I yeah. think it's gonna he could be big yeah he is gonna be yeah. a huge show well come here why don't you do I mean I know my, my plan is story the I'm gonna of write, your life yeah yeah well come here it's funny yeah. you should say that because that is that is gonna be my next thing I am hoping and it's something that I've never done before but it's something I've always talked about yeah. doing and uh Barry Murphy would actually be a good mate of mine and he's always saying and Del, uh, Neil Delamere is always you know saying you need to write a, a life story yeah, about no, stuff that's happened do like, a live show and I, and, and I actually spoke to a guy um, a guy called Ray Yates who helped us out when we had the House of Fun Access yeah. and he's done a one man show but I need to really just put pen to paper and I need to start writing the first. Mm. And obviously, like everything, it has to be, have a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm. And I have an idea of what I want to do with it and, wh- and where I want to go with it. And maybe not just for theatres, maybe for prisons as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to go into all the prisons in uh, in Ireland and, and, mm. just, and even young juvenile centres as well. Yeah. Catch them before they kind of make that graduation yeah. stage yeah. to go on to Mount Joy, you know, mm. to, to just kind of... Look, come here. If it helped one person, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great? I think it'd you know? be brilliant. But do you find it difficult to go back and talk about that stuff? Sometimes? No, 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 I don't. No. I actually kind of find it a, a little bit therapeutic, so to speak. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it. Look, or it's me past. It, do you find it uh, hard? Like every comedian finds it hard to hear the silence and be serious for a while. Isn't mm. it true? You always want yeah. to hear the laughs. Yeah, Do you yeah. think that's kind of the thing that you would find it's holding you back from doing that? Or um, no, I, I, no, I think silence sometimes can speak volumes in the, in, 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 in a situation. Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. um, sometimes you don't need to hear laughs or you don't need to hear talking just to ponder and think what's been said or, mm. or what's just happened. Like, you know, and the show, if, we, if it if it does happen, and I really hope that it does, and it's not going to happen like next year. It'll probably happen two thousand seventeen. Like I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd like it to be not just real serious, but to have bouts of you know, it'd be kind of snots and tears and mm. you know belly laughs, and it'd be kind of a roller coaster journey of 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 my life and kind of stuff that mm. happened. Um, which is, you know, there's been real, some really funny parts and there's been some horrific parts, you know, but there's always comedy in the tragedy as well, like, there you know. Is, yeah. um, not that my auntie found anything funny with being held captive in a house for two days. Would she come and see the show? I don't know. I don't. I, I actually. Would you have to, <laughs> okay, to give her the royalties? Would you have to go and <laughs> grab her and make her come? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, as I said, come here, like I said, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to get something in television, even you know, to get uh-huh. me face on TV. And mm-hmm. um, you know, apparently, crime line wasn't enough twenty years ago. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like to. I'd like to be that man off the telly, like that you talked mm-hmm. about. The man off the telly is on. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think that it should take Irish audiences or people to go. Let's because sometimes the bloke that's not on the telly is just as funny Absolutely. as the man there is. Oh, 100%, you know, I mean. 100%. But unfortunately, the country that we're living in and the way it is... society everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. all about fame, yeah. Fame. Yeah, so uh, look, I'll just be the man that used to be on the telly. Ah, you will be on the telly. Well, I've been fortunate enough. I've had a bit of walk out of Savage Eye and Irish Pictorial and, you know, whatever. But, and it's been great, you know, but Mm-mm-mm. it's 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 just... Well, like, you're a top-notch comedian. Like, when you did Bear in the Woods, as I said, you just blew it apart. Yeah, yeah. My kids loved your stuff. 
Did they? Yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. even know your kids were there. They were, yeah. <laughs> They're teenagers, you're grand. There were little kids there. You were, were you yeah. talking about heroin? Or yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. ever taken heroin? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, come here. It's, it's, it's a great journey, Joe. And the great thing about yeah. this, what we do, like myself and yourself, is that it's unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you look at a phone num- number sometimes on your phone and you go, will I answer that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you answer it, and it's not what you expect. I know. You know, and and like, like it's, it's 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 a great thing to be a performer, and it's a gift to be able like yourself. I mean, I, I remember gigging with you probably about eight years ago, and we done about three nights together. Mm. We were down the country. I was driving the car to three. Oh yeah, I remember. And that. we had yeah. we, we great crack. Like you know, it's yeah. just it's a road trip. Where I mean, you get to meet. I've got to meet some amazing people. Mm. on this journey like you know I've got to meet a few dickheads as well along the way like which is part of the course but you'll get that in life either yeah, way you've like you know with John Bishop a lot haven't you yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> had the play I've been in John's house yeah. you know uh, I've hung out with him and you know he's yeah. he following me on Twitter and that and it's, yeah. it's, it's great like that's yeah. the stuff for me yeah. you know that but it's mad because I remember John like about seven years ago over in Edinburgh mm. and I went to see his show uh, John Bishop has left the building and after the show was backstage room where he was getting you know changed mm. and we were getting ready to meet up I think with Jason Bourne or something like that mm. and John is just this ordinary kind of stand up comedian and I mean within about a year and a half after that Suddenly, it was like he's a superstar yeah. but you know what Joe mm. and I hope if Jesus if I ever got to that level of stardom and I, I'd be like John he hasn't forgot where he's after coming from mm. and it's one thing I really admired about him even mm. I, I haven't seen him now in, in a I was seen him in Cork Opera House last October mm. I hung out with him down there I was living in Cork at the time mm. and uh, I, I, he, he took a bit of time out and, and we had a chat and he had a drink and that I had a, I had a, a coffee with him and um, mm. he's just still the same bloke and it's a great great quality and he does a lot for charity and uh, wow. I, you know I've met some of my idols like I went and had lunch with him and Eddie Izzard like Jesus <laughs> do you know what amazing. I mean like yeah, and I'm yeah. kind of going yeah. you know I suppose it's like a kid on Christmas morning being told when you get that bike that you want that you've not to get excited you've just to pretend that it's cool to have the bike like, yeah. you know and that's what I felt like I went to a Liverpool game with John and he said to me after the game he says Willie we can do one of two things, he says, we can either one, he says, we can go and meet the Liverpool team, he says, and uh, I'll introduce to the lads, he says, but we can do that anytime, he says, you come over. He says, or two, he says, uh, we can go and have lunch with um, Eddie Izzard, he's down in the Echo Arena down in Liverpool, and I just went, Eddie Izzard, yeah. I just think he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that he's done, for charity and the stuff that he's done for comedy as a whole is just it's unreal like you know uh, yeah when he did when he started doing there was no one else doing what he was doing when he started out that kind of rambling kind of yeah. making it up as you go along yeah kind of very way, very know. very good like and I just yeah. got it's it's times like that like if it all ended tomorrow and you know I you know I lost my voice or whatever happened I tell mm-hmm. you I have had the most amazing journey Mm. over the last 14 and a half years than I ever had for the 30 years before it, Joe. I can honestly and undoubtedly say that. You know, I've met some really, really nice people. I've done some really nice stuff. 
Um, I got a lovely family around me, and I got all that stuff. You know, for me, it's it, it, at the moment, it's not all about the material things. Like it's about the stuff in life that's free. Like you know, mm. it's about family, and it's about spending time with people that you like, and just mm. having a coffee. And you don't have to be spending bleeding hundreds to be having a good time. Like you know, mm. you can have just as good a good time walking around the park with only your mates having a chat. Mm. Then you can be on a bleeding speedboat off the coast of the south of France or wherever you know. Mm. So I just continue to do what I do and I I gig and I'm going to Jonglers this weekend over in Glasgow. You oh, know, right, cool. um, Friday and Saturday night. So um, yeah, yeah, get to do a little small bit of traveling. I've had the honour like yourself of going to Dubai and oh yeah, you know like so. Yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah, I mean, where would you get it like yeah. Dubai? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. but yeah, come here. It's 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 great, and 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 long may it last. You know, long yeah. may it last, Joe. Yeah. Well, listen, this conversation is almost a full show. You, you I think you've got your show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just play just this in all the TV. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, here's yeah. the show, and I'll just come out and press play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's about to get an exclusive here with Joe Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, uh, yeah. and your auntie's always on the guest list yeah, wherever the always. show is on yeah, yeah 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 it's good to have a captive yeah. audience <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that on that bombshell well listen thanks a lot Willie thanks for coming Joe in. you're very thanks, very thanks. welcome thanks no bother you know All right. you know me I do want for a thousand quid of a Monday night <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Joe thanks you're very All right, welcome thanks Willie Okay, so that was the brilliant uh, Willie White, uh, fantastic bloke, and uh, what a life story. And I have to say, Willie White is one of the few, if probably the only comedian that I just hate having to follow at a comedy club. Because he just blows the roof off the place wherever he goes, and he's a tough act to follow. Right, well, I'll uh, be at the Electric Picnic next Saturday and I'm going to record a show from there for next week's podcast. And I'll be there doing a comedy gig as well on the uh, 5th of September. I'll be in the comedy tent at 5 o'clock. And before that, I'll be in the News Talk tent at 3 p.m. with Henry from News Talk. You know Henry. And then later on, I'm in the caravan near the Salty Dog stage with Kathy Davy at 7pm. And actually on the Salty Dog stage with the band Cronin at 10pm. And I'm going to do a lot of interviews while I'm over there. I know I'm going to interview Brezzy. And I'm going to try and get an interview with Damon Albarn because, come on. I mean, he's in Blur. And, uh, uh, you know... I'm the guy who said, who's your fair blower oasis? So maybe I'll try and get an interview with him. Well, I will try. So maybe I will. Uh, we'll find out next week. Uh, and on Friday, I'm in uh, Daly's Bar in Oma on the 4th of September. Uh, I'm in the International doing the improv with the Dublin Comedy Improv on the 7th of September and on the 14th of September. And then I'm in Knoll Arts Centre on the 25th. City Limits Cork on the 26th and the Empire Belfast on the 29th. So listen, thanks a lot for listening and uh, have a listen next week. If you like the podcast, please give it a, a rating, a good rating, obviously, you know, star, five stars, I would suggest. Uh, I'd like to thank um, Daniel Rooney for the music, Andrew Mangan for producing and Castaway Media for hosting the podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
This was a Castaway Media production. Find us on Twitter at Castaway Media or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Castaway Podcasts. Heard my little sis is buying a car. You'll need my secret guide. Gross, no way. I already used Capital One Auto Navigator. I bet your credit score wasn't impacted at all. So, ha. I got my real rate and monthly payment, had an amazing test drive at the dealership, and made the purchase. Taking the easy way out. That's so you. Still not getting it. That's so you. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Auto Navigator.